somewhere near the end of the summer, coming into the school year, felt as though the Lord wanted me to to preach through the first three books of Revelation in Sunday school uh, in the Heartland Singles class. And so have done that here for the past three weeks and knowing that, you know, uh, I think a couple weeks ago the decision was made to do uh, the chapters two and three in the Sunday school hour of, of Revelation and all the adult Sunday school classes. And so we've already been into chapter one in the Heartland Singles class and have, have, uh, have preached three messages out of there. And uh, somebody asked me uh, oh, a couple weeks ago, you know, when I was preaching through Revelation, they said, what, what are you going to do if, if a pastor asks you to preach at, at, at Sunday? No, and I was preaching through Revelation. I was like, oh, I'm just going to jump right into Revelation. I mean, all the Heartland students are in here, or at least they should be, right? So they're not going to miss out on anything. We can just bring everybody into this message. And I didn't actually mean that, but and I found myself here praying about it, and, and the Lord is telling me that's exactly what you need to do. And so we're going to be in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 1. And so if you would stand and turn to Revelation 1, and also, if, if you can, and I, I hope to get there sometime in the message, but if you would turn, uh, keep the ribbon in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray to get there. If not, I'll just reference it, but the plan is to go to Ephesians chapter 3 eventually. So Revelation chapter 1, we're going to read um, verses 9 through 20 but really going to focus in on the last two verses of, of Revelation 1, chapter, uh, uh, verse 19 and 20. And in doing so, we're going to have to draw from what took place before that and, and after it as well, too. But we'll get into that, Lord willing, here in just, just a few moments. So let's read in verse number 9, Revelation chapter 1. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and, and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. You'd think so. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And have the keys of death and hell. Praise the Lord for that. Verse number 19. Write the things which thou hast seen, 
and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. Here it is. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Man, I, it's a great text. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Let's have a word of prayer one more time and then Lord willing, we'll get into it. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for this book and thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for all that you've done, Lord, in our lives to help us to live in a way that is pleasing to you. And God, I pray that this hour would be just that and it would revive and refresh those who need it and confront those who need it and just be an encouragement to those who need it. Lord, I pray that you'd give great liberty in this just wonderful text that you've given us here in your word. So help me and give me liberty to preach as I just so need it every day. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So about a month ago, we had our annual staff retreat. And the staff retreat is, is primarily the purpose of it is to where we plan out the year's events for the, the coming year, get everything on the calendar. But we also get to enjoy times of fellowship, places that we get to go eat and spend time together and just do some staff bonding, which is always a blessing. Our, our spouses are there. It truly is a, is a great time. Well, one of the things that we did this year was we went to an escape room. All right. And I'm sure that many of you uh, know what an escape room is. And the goal is quite simple. You are locked in a room and you need to escape. That's it. Well, when we were there at this escape room there at the Quail Springs Mall, um, we were put into three different groups. And so uh, it was uh, Brother Perkle, Miss Shelley, Brother Mark, Miss Christie, Abigail, and myself. And clearly we were the team to beat, right? Yeah. <laughs> clearly. But they lined us outside in the hallway and he told us, uh, this is the hardest of the three. He also told that to the other two groups as well, too. So I don't, I, I, I'm not sure if he was lying or what, but each group said that they had the hardest one. But I personally believed our guy and, and, and think that we had the hardest one, no doubt. And so he lined us outside of the, the door in the hallway, and then he put a blindfold on, on each one of us. And so we had to put our hand on the shoulder of the person in front of us, and he led us into a room blindfolded, which was very odd, you know, a disconcerting feeling there. And you, then he brings us into the room, still blindfolded, and we, and we sat there, and all of a sudden we started to hear the clicking of handcuffs. And then... And each one of us were handcuffed and there's, you know, there. And so we, we take off our, our, our masks and I see Brother Perkle over there chained to a pipe on the wall. And, and I, I'm, I'm chained to some medical chair and, and I don't know why or why it's there, but it's some medical chair that's in the room. And then there was a cot in the middle of the room. And I think it was the remaining four that were handcuffed to that cot. And then the uh, announcer, gave, they had this screen up there and they gave us this little introduction as, as to what was going to take place. And then they said, you know, the time started ticking. You've got an hour to get out of this escape room. And so somebody, once we took our, our, our masks off and the guy was done talking and the timer started to tick, somebody says, are we supposed to get these handcuffs off? Or are we supposed to do it with the handcuffs on? 
And nobody really answered. And so we just got after it. Handcuffs and all. And there's Brother Perkle chained to a pipe. And I'm chained to some medical chair. And there's the rest of the remaining four jostling around on a, a medical cot. And, and, and we realized we were, we were not getting far. We, the, the mystery was, was thick. And, and we knew that we weren't, we weren't going anywhere. And so there was a rule that if everybody agreed to ask uh, for a clue, then, then the person on the other end behind the microphone would give us a clue. And so finally, out of uh, just frustration, we were 15, no, I'm sorry, we were 25 minutes in. We had 35 minutes left. And we said, we need a clue. And the guy goes, take off your handcuffs. <laughs> How am I supposed to know? And we said, where's the key? On the wall. <laughs> oh, sure enough, it's right there. <laughs> Pulled that thing right off the wall and it was right there. <laughs> so there were two clues down and we just got our handcuffs off. And then, you know, we started to, to, to go at it and we started to try to figure out the, the clues that were there. And so there were lock boxes and patty locks and there were combinations and there was numbers on the wall and there was a black light and you shine the black light and there's a trail going to certain uh, uh, places and you're trying to figure out what does all of this mean? And I'm telling you, it was a complete and utter mystery. And so several times along the way, we, we would say, we need a clue. All of us would say, we need a clue. And so they would, he would come over the microphone and he would give us some sort of clue to figure out the mystery. And about 45 minutes in, it is not looking good for us. And then we hear the cheers and excitement and the hooping and hollering of the other two groups that have come out of their escape rooms and our time is dwindling and ticking down and we're, we're, we're putting pieces of paper together and we're, then it, it's a riddle and so we try to interpret the riddle and we get the riddle and we take the, the riddle over and we try to undo a lock and we pull that thing open and there's something there and we're doing the best that we can to get it done. But I'm telling you, time and time and time and time again, we're going, we need a clue. We, we don't have a clue. Because <laughs> we didn't. And time after time, he would give us a clue. It was truly a mystery to us. And, and what we needed was our mystery revealed. And without it, we had no clue. So let me say this. There's, there is a, a little that mankind can know about God, about God's program for the ages, and about his son, Jesus Christ, without a revelation. Without revelation, life is a mystery. Now, a, a mystery is, is not something that cannot be known. A mystery is something that just needs revelation to be known. So, for, for instance, uh, the Messiah, Jesus, Jesus Christ, it, for many and, and through the ages gone by, Jesus Christ was a mystery. If you were to go back to the garden and Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden. And, and you would see there's Adam and there's Eve and there's sin. And so God uh, 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 kills an animal and clothes them with the flesh. And that's the first picture there of, of the Messiah to come was going to be our suffering Savior. And then you've got, you've got uh, the, 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 the feast weeks and you, you've got the sacrifices that are all taking place. And everything is kind of pointing. Now, it's, it's kind of dark. Dark, isn't it? It's kind of blurry. We don't fully see the picture altogether, but the picture's starting to come together. 
And you've got, you've got passages like Isaiah 53, and, and he talks about how he's despised and rejected of men. And he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was wounded for our, transgression, our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened out his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And we look back at it on our age, and we look at it now, and the picture is clear. But when they were in that age, at that time, the picture was not clear. It was yet a mystery. But then Jesus came. Praise the Lord, Jesus came. And he came and he fulfilled all of the, the prophecies that, that took place in the Old Testament. And friends, the Messiah was revealed. The mystery was revealed. Jesus Christ is, was the Messiah. And now that is not something that we discover on our own. I don't think that anybody here through, could live a hundred lifetimes and, and could come to the place where they would say, you know what I think happened on this whole earth thing? I think what happened is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost were in heaven and they all decided that Jesus Christ was going to come and he was going to pay for the sins of mankind and he was going to redeem them to himself and he was going to die and be buried and he's going to rise again and that's how it was all going to work. No man comes to that sort of conclusion unless it is revealed unto them. We don't do that on our own. That's not, not our human reasoning. The whole program of God cannot be known unless God reveals it. I mean, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, says this, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the, of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And we are spiritually discerned people. We don't come to right conclusions about life on our own. Come on, we live in a world right now that is so utterly confused because they're trying to find out the, the purpose and reason for life on their own human reasoning. And they have either not heard of the revelation of God or they have rejected the revelation of God. And it has led them down a path where they're ending up in some really weird places. Why? Because they don't have the revealed word of God. And that is why throughout the ages, God has revealed who he is by different dispensations. It's the order or the, uh, of God's working among his creation so that God would reveal certain truths to each generation or to each age. And mankind is responsible to respond to that truth that God reveals. It, it is through the ages. I mean, Hebrews 1, 1 says this, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. That was how God spoke. I mean, come on, we, we understand that we read the Bible and we see that God spoke through angelic messages and he, and he spoke through uh, uh, dreams and visions and he spoke through the prophets. That's how God spoke. And then uh, verse number two says, and now it is, he says, it hath, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. So things have changed. God has revealed to us certain truths by his son different than the age before. So, now that he speaks, we wouldn't know anything about him unless he spoke. And unless he revealed this truth to us. And this is why the book of Revelation was written, one of the reasons. Because it's going to reveal truth about Jesus Christ. Now, come on, there's, there's a bunch of things that go on in the book of Revelations. We've got famines, and, and we've got pestilence, and we've got earthquakes, and we, we've got, we've got uh, the, the beast, and we've got the Antichrist, and we've got dragons, and we've got all this stuff that people write books about, but I'm telling you right here, right now, that is not what the book of Revelation is about. The book of Revelation, according to, to verse number one, the first word says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which this book is about Jesus Christ. And the word revelation, it means, it means uh, uh, apocalypse, or it, two words, um, apo and, and kaluma. Apo away from, and kaluma, a veil. He, it means this, to take away a veil. 
That's what the book of Revelation is about. Is it, is it about the taking away of the veil of who Jesus Christ is? Because there have been generations who have not known him, who have not understood him. But the, but the book says this, I'm going to reveal Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah. But we are not left to wonder about who this Jesus is. It's been revealed. And in verse number 19, John is going to write the mystery that was revealed unto him. And he says unto him, write the things which thou hast seen. And so here, here is John. And you, we can go back up to uh, verse number nine. And John is there and he's writing unto these people. And he, he says this, um, I, I, I am a brother and companion. I'm a brother and I'm a companion. It means I'm going to share in. I'm the companion. I'm going to share in. We share in tribulation. So it's clear that the churches of, of these seven churches of Asia, they were persecuted beyond reason and they were, they were persecuted because they chose to follow Jesus Christ. And the, the word tribulation just means to press. So there's a pressure that's there. They were, they were being pressed because they were choosing to follow Jesus Christ. And there is, there is John who says, I share in that same pressure, in that same tribulation, because John is on the Isle of Patmos and he even says, I am there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Clearly, John was not silent about Jesus and he was in a society that did not like who Jesus Jesus was, and they would toss nuisances to the Isle of Patmos to get them out of their lives. He's a nuisance. Get him out of here. And so there's John doing nothing but trying to follow, follow his Savior, the one that he loves so much, and because he chose to follow Jesus Christ, he is there on the Isle of Patmos, and he is sharing in the suffering that is taking place with these, with these churches. But wait a minute. He doesn't just say, I, 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 I share in the tribulation, but he says, and the kingdom. That's what he says in verse number nine. And the patience of Jesus Christ. And so he doesn't just share in the suffering, but he's reminding them, he, here, here's something that you have to remember, is that we not only share in the suffering, but we share in the glories of the kingdom that is to come. Amen. That's going to be a wonderful time when Jesus Christ reigns and there's, there's no more uh, politics. Because we're not going to vote by popular opinion. Because Jesus is going to rule and he's going to reign and what he says goes and it's going to be good and right all together. There's going to be no questioning. We don't have to worry about it. It's going to be a wonderful time, wonderful time for the believer. And so he says this, I share in the tribulation, yes, but I, we also share in, in, in the kingdom that's come. And the only way that they can get from the tribulation that is to come to the kingdom that is in the future is by the patience of Jesus Christ. It means the endurance to bear up underneath to bear up underneath the trials. And so they had these trials that they were dealing with, but he wanted them to know that you got to go from where you are until kingdom come. And the only way in which you can do so is by the patience and the endurance that only Jesus Christ can give. Well, wait a minute. How is it that we are supposed to receive the patience, receive that endurance that he can give? Well, John says, I was there on the Isle of Patmos and I heard a voice as a trumpet behind me. And, and so it spoke to him and he said this, I turned and looked. Isn't that a good thing to do? And he, when he turned to look, what he said is, I saw seven candlesticks and one like the son of man who is in the midst. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ is in our midst. And I, I'm telling you, I'm so thankful that they could rest in the fact that Jesus was in their midst and they needed to see that and they needed to know it. And he said, not only is Jesus Christ in our midst, but he saw the son of man clothed in the garment. Now, if you were to go back to Daniel chapter seven, what you would see is that, that Daniel uses the same language about Jesus and he's talking about a, the power and authority of Jesus' kingdom and how he is sovereign and it is an indestructible kingdom and it will not end. 
And then he says you have, he had hair as white as wool and as white as snow. And, it, and also in Daniel chapter 7, uh, Daniel speaks to that language. And he also calls him the ancient of days with, with the white hair. And really that ancient of days that has to do with his holiness and his righteousness and his all wise knowing God. That there's nothing that God does not know and there's nothing that God does not understand. And then he says he has eyes as burning flames of fire. And, and also in Daniel 7, he, he reuses a lot of those terminologies. And it's, it's like God saying, uh, I know all I see all there's nothing I don't know and there's nothing that I don't see I see what you're going through churches of Asia I see that you're having troubles and tribulation and struggles I know it and I am all wise and I can deal with it and I can handle it and that's why he said he also had feet of brass because in Psalm 110, you can go to Psalm 110, he talks about how he's trampling the enemy and there's going to come a day when God says enough is enough with the, with the enemies of this world and the enemies of God and he's going to trample them. And I know that's not popular opinion to our country today for the sensitive people in our country, but that is also very biblical. That God is going to deal with the sin, the sin of this land, the sin of our country, the sin of this world and those that oppose him, he is going to snuff it out. And then he says... I saw, I, I saw the, the stars in his right hand, the pastors in his right hand, those messengers of God, and, and they were there, and, and his, his hand has to do with his power and his protection, and then he's saying, yes, there are pastors, and they're going through some difficult times right now, but he's in the right hand of Jesus Christ, and, and, and he's there, and he's all safe, and he's secure, and he's got a, he's got a, a, a tongue that proceeds out of his mouth like a, a two-edged sword. And he's saying that the word of God has power and it has authority. And it, it's like the same words of God that were there at the beginning of creation that said, let there be light. And the same words that came when, when, when Jesus Christ stood before the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth, is the same word of God that they would hold in their hand and they would read. And yes, the power manifested itself differently, but they could come to the word of God in their tribulation. And what they could understand is that they could have the, they could have the encouragement that they needed in the time of trouble. It was all right there. And his presence was shining as a bright light as the sun. And when he saw it, he fell at his feet as though he was dead. And he touched him and said, I'm Alpha and I'm Omega. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I hold the keys of death and hell. My friends, I know that you're in tribulation and you're in a bunch of trouble and the, the world is pressing in around you. But here's what you need to understand. What you need to be able to get from, from the tribulation to the kingdom and how you need to endure to do both is you just need a good look at the glorified Jesus. And that would be true for us here today. Now, this isn't the message, but my friend, isn't it true that each one of us goes through troubles and trials and tribulations that exist here on this earth? And, and there's, there's, there's sin that's in our flesh and there's problems that we encounter that are no problem of our own. And we have problems from the world and, and, and the press of the world that's coming in around us and trying to get us to pull us away from God. But he is still saying to us, you need to endure and you need to endure from now until Jesus Christ comes and you can live a faithful Christian life. And you know how we do that? We just need to get into the book and we need to get a good look at the glorified Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. This is what we need. He says, write the things that thou hast seen. And then he says, write the things that are. Okay? Write the things that are. Here. Which are. And so here's what he says when he says, write the things that are. Look at verse number 20. Look halfway, halfway through. Verse number 20 says, uh, the seven stars are. And then he says, the angels of the, the seven churches, the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are. 
the seven churches. So the first things, right, the things that thou hast seen, he's talking about what's taking place in the first chapter. The things that thou hast seen, the glorified Jesus Christ. And write the things that are. And he's talking about this. Because that verse has to do with the church, he says this, write the things that are in chapters two and three. And so that's what you're going to go through in Sunday school. And he says, I want you to deal uh, with, with the things of the heart. And because Jesus Christ knows what's going on, he's going to deal with the issues that are taking place in his churches. So they wrote the things which they had seen. And then he says, write the things which are. And he deals with the heart of the matter of every single church. Because listen, we, me or, or you or any other person in that day could look upon the church of Philadelphia or look upon Ephesus and look upon these other churches and they say, man alive, look how busy they are. Look how good they are. They're doing a good work for Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ doesn't see things surface level. No, he gets to the heart and he deals with the heart of every single church. And he says, yes, Ephesus, you are busy and that's good. But here's the problem. You've left your first love. And Smyrna, they just needed some encouragement to continue on, encouragement in suffering. And Pergamos to be faithful unto death. And Thyatira to be, to, to be careful of spiritual fornication. And Sardis to keep your garments clean. Just you got to be unspotted from this world. And Philadelphia to be a missionary church. And Laodicea, you can't be a social club. That's not the purpose as to why you're here. And what he says is write the things that are. And he gives them this, these messages to the seven churches. And he is supposed to go and he's supposed to get right at the heart of the issue. Whew. And then he says, write the things which shall be hereafter. So he's dealt with what, what they're supposed to learn in chapter one and what he wants them to write and tell them in chapter one and then chapters two and three. And what he says are the things which are to be hereafter are from chapter four on. Look at chapter four. Just flip over a few, a few pages here. Chapter four, verse number one. He says this, after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was, uh, was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee the things which shall be hereafter. And so you've got chapter one, you've got chapter two and three, and you've got a nice division of the book, which is here from chapter four on. And he's going to deal with chapter four on. And what he's going to talk about is the things that are to come. And that starts at the day of the rapture on. I'm so thankful that this portion of the Bible is here. I'm so thankful for books like Daniel and for Revelations that go together seamlessly and they help us interpret one another perfectly and that we can understand that, that this life here is not just, uh, it doesn't end at death, but there's more that takes place at the end, at the rapture. I'm, I'm so thankful that at the rapture, the, the church age is done with and we move on to something totally different. And that's what he's dealing with and and I, and I would say that, that he's revealing something about Jesus Christ that for many have not known and for ages gone by have never seen. And I, and I can tell you this much, that that sort of truth cannot remain concealed. And God never mentioned and that God never intended for the truth that we have just gone through to remain concealed. And he's chosen a way in which he wants that truth revealed in this age, in our age, because in times gone by, what has it been? It's been prophets and it's been angelic beings and, it, and it's, been, it's been visions and it's been dreams and it's been those sorts of things. And God has dealt with man in certain ages uh, according to his will and his purposes. And man was responsible for the truth of God in every single age and how they responded to it. Yes, by faith. But what about our age? What about us? 
And how is that truth supposed to be revealed? To whom is that supposed to be revealed? Look at verse number 20. He says this, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. And he reveals the mystery. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. They are the pastors. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. He says this, I want you to take that truth and I want the pastor of that church to take that truth and do a good apokaluma and boom, pull the veil away to this age, which is this church body. And that is the purpose of this church. Did you know that? He says the purpose of the church is that when you come in here together, that you, that the man of my right hand, the pastor of the church, he comes in and he takes the word of God and he pulls the veil away of who Jesus Christ is and he reveals it to the congregation. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. If you've got your marker there. Ephesians chapter 3, he says this in verse number 1. And I'm going to read a few verses here, so, but, I, but I think that it's good for us to set our eyes upon it, and I, and I think we need to see it. We need to see what he's saying in, in Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, in verse number 1, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you, Gentiles, if I have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I spoke afore, in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What was supposed to be known? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers, uh, and parta I'm sorry, and partakers of his promise by Christ by the gospel, he's saying this, that the, that the Gentiles and the Jews alike would come together and be fellow heirs in a church body. It's the wisdom and the plan of God. Look at verse number seven. Wherefore, I, I made a minister according to the gift of grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am less than the least of all saints, in this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that they now unto the... I'm sorry, that they... Let me read that again, verse number 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. That God's intent for this age is to take the truth of God's word and to present it to his body and for it to be revealed, and for us to, to truly and sincerely act upon it. He says it's the manifold wisdom of God, the many-sided wisdom of God, that he is supposed to take the truth and give it to God, and God has chosen to reveal that which was once concealed unto you. And unto me. Is that not amazing? That the people of ages gone by have sought after what we have every week. They sought after the things that there are times when we can just stumble into and casually go about our day. 
Isn't that true? I mean, I know we're all tired. We got long days. And there are kids that need to go to bed and there is school in the morning and there are all these sorts of things that need to take place. But heaven forbid, forbid that we forget what the church body is actually for. That is, it is the time of this age where God takes the truth of his word and he reveals Jesus Christ to his people. We cannot forget that. Because we're going to have a tendency, it's going to be every one of us, that we're going to have a tendency to come into this place and just, just treat it as, oh, it's really no big deal. This is what I've always done. I've done this since I was the time I was a kid. I do it every Wednesday. I do it every Sunday. It's just what I do. But I'm telling you this much. We have to, as a church body, we have to take the preaching of God's word seriously. We have to. Lest we be like one of the churches here that gets a sharp rebuke. Lest we be like in, in Ephesus who is very busy and we are a busy church and, and is very busy but God would come and knock on the heart's door of a people in this, in this auditorium and say, yes, you're busy but you know and I know you don't love me like you used to. And the whole time, I mean, we're coming here. It's not like we haven't been receiving the truth of God's word. I mean, we got a pastor. We have a man of God's right hand who truly, and I, don't, I mean, just gives the truth of the word of God. He just takes the veil away and just, boom. And there he is. And sometimes we can say, oh, when is dinner? <laughs> the, the, the one with, that's all wise? The one who is all seeing? The one who is in our midst? Don't, let's not forget that too, that Jesus Christ is in our midst and he is walking around here and he's going up this aisle and down this aisle and right over here and over here and he's looking in the hearts of mankind. He's here. Explain that to me. I can't. It hasn't been revealed. I just know it's true. I mean, he says he's, he, he's in the midst and that's, that's going to be a tendency of ours. Another tendency, I think, is going to be for us just to, just to, uh, what was the other one I had? Oh, unlock the mysteries of life our own way. I mean, we got problems, don't we? I got issues. And there's also Dr. Phil. I mean, really. I mean, I could go to Dr. Phil and try and figure out what all life's issues are. I mean, I could. But, but I think all too often we tend to do that. I mean, we come and sit here and yes, it's church time. It's just what I do. And the whole time, God is just pulling the veil away and giving the answer after answer after answer after answer. And we're saying, man alive, I can't wait to go to the psychologist. I, I, I can't wait to, to find out what's going on, Dr. Phil. I, I can't wait to go back home and to get onto the YouTube and, and find out what those YouTube theologians have. Well, I, you, you're saying you've got a problem with Christian things being on YouTube? No, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I'm just saying it's not God's avenue in which he has chosen to reveal Jesus Christ. That is the church. It is the church of it is the time of our age that Jesus Christ is going to reveal truth through the man of his right hand. And he's going to take the word of God and give it to the people. I mean, we, we honestly, and I, 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 I'm not a pastor. I'm, I try to do my best to help my pastor and to serve the, 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 the church here and the Heartland Baptist Bible College students. But I have, a, I have this thing in my heart that just cringes every time I see a pastor who's just constantly tweeting out, tweeting this and tweeting that and tweeting here. What, you got a problem with, with people tweeting Bible verses? No, I'm all for it. But I'm just saying, it's not God's avenue to reveal truth. 
God's avenue to reveal truth has always been the local church since in our age. And I have, a, I have a sense that some just have a, a love of the like. I want the like. So I'll, I'll tweet this spiritual saying. And I, I, forgive me, but I'm just like, I'm like, don't you have a church? I, I really, I'm honest, I'm so thankful that our pastor's not caught up in that. I wonder why he's not caught up in it. Because he's focused on the church. The avenue by which God is speaking to his people. The church. It's the church. And we have that tendency to try to come into church every week, to turn around and go out the other door, out the door, and try to find out the mysteries of life some other way. But they're right here, friends. Oh, you know what another one is? We, we really got to be careful about this because I, I look at the age of the time when God was speaking by the prophets and he was speaking God, by, by men like Elijah and he's speaking by Isaiah and he, and he was speaking by these prophets and they would come into Israel and they would come into Judah and I'm talking, they would just thunder forth the word of God, wouldn't they? Man, I love the prophets. I love the, the, the minor prophets and the major prophets because they just came in and they, they did not care. They just laid waste to, the, to Israel and they laid waste to Judah and they would just, they would say what God said. But you know what kind of happened with the children of Israel? And you you know what happened with Judah? They're like, yeah, I know that this is the avenue by which God can, conveys truth to his people, but I'm so tired of hearing this. And it happened to Israel. And so there's Israel and they get, they, get, they get sold into captivity because of their rejection of God's word and they just got fed up with it and they got tired and they don't want to, they want to hear it anymore. They just want to live life their own way. And then there comes Judah and Judah is just following right in their footsteps and God is revealing truth by his prophet and revealing truth by his prophet in that age. Revealing truth and revealing truth and revealing truth. And they harden their neck and they turn their shoulder and they turn their back on God. And then here comes Babylon. Can I caution us? That while that was the avenue in which God spoke to his people, the church is the avenue in which God speaks to his people today. And let us take a lesson from Israel. And let us take a, a lesson from Judah. That if we get tired and fed up with God's word, or we just get lackadaisical, or we just don't care, I'm telling you, what is to say that we are not going to be in the same state? We've got to take the truth of God's word seriously. We have to. No, friends, we have to. We must. If God is going to reveal truth, it's going to be unto his local church. It is not going to be in the halls of Congress. It is not going to be at a school board meeting. It is not going to be from the president of the United States. It is not, it is not, it is not. It will be through this church and others like it. But God just doesn't want us to reveal truth unto us so that we can sit on it. The avenue in which the, 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 the people all over this country and all over this world are supposed to get an idea as to who Jesus Christ is, is the vehicle of the local church. I mean, what did Jesus say before he ascended up into heaven? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He, he said to them, listen, you don't just, you just don't sit in the church body and you reveal truth and you just say, wow, that was good and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it for my own life. No, he says, you church, you, me, us, have to be the avenue by which people around this world get the gospel. Right. Right. 
And that is why we send people to Sri Lanka. And that is why we send people to Nepal. And that is why we send people all over this country because they are supposed to be, what does he say that they are? A candle. They're a candlestick which holds the light. And they are supposed to walk into a darkened place and dispel the darkness. I'm so, I really and truly, I'm so proud of the Heartland students since they came back. Four people have accepted Christ in terms of, of our soul winning efforts. I'm so thankful for that. And I'm just saying to you, good job and keep up the good work. I mean, the first day they came back, me and Andy Fisher, we got to go out. We were talking to these two guys and they stood at the door and, and you could tell they had some sort of a church background. And we started telling them the gospel and they were connecting dots. Both of them were. And we're not talking about easy believism. We don't believe in that. And I believe in sowing the seed and letting God do in the work. But also if it's a mall hanging fruit, I'm going to take it. Because if they had been fed the truth of the word of God and it had been simmering in their heart and life and I'm just sitting there connecting some dots that hadn't been connected and Andy's connecting some dots that hadn't been connected and they get to the place where they say, I need to be saved. I'm not going to say, nope. No, and both of them, friends, got saved right there on the doorstep. We're taking, we're taking a candlestick, a light, door to door, dispelling darkness. It's the job of the church. We had some guys go downtown in Bricktown. And don't you know that Bricktown is a dark place? And getting darker? No, I'm not even... There's a reason why they're employing more police officers down there. And the police officers help, and I'm so thankful for them. But they're not, that's not the avenue by which God has chosen to change people. It's the inside out. And so we got a couple guys that go down there, and they meet this man who moved here from Ohio, and they start giving him the gospel, and the, the dots are connected with him, and they lead him to Jesus Christ. We're out on visitation last Saturday and Brother Trey Graff, he goes to the door and there's this 16-year-old boy there and he starts giving him the gospel. And wouldn't you know it, a candlestick with a light on it comes into this young man's darkened world and illuminates his heart and life about who Jesus Christ is. And he just pulled the veil away and said, look, it's Jesus. And he received him. It works. And not only does it work, it's our duty. It's our calling. It's the responsibility of this church. But we got to be careful. Lest we let the darkness snuff out our light. Now, I know what it's like to be in the world. And you do too. And you know what it's like to get a hard heart, and so do I. I know what it's like to preach with a hard heart. It's horrible. I know what it's like to try to raise a family with a hard heart, and so do you. We're in the world. And there's a, there's a tendency for all of us to get our lights snuffed out. I mean, I think that, that's why he says to them uh, in, in, uh, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, he, he says, basically, uh, you have to be careful of, of I've written into you these things, that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's you. And that's me. And he wrote chapters 1, 2, and 3 there in 1 Timothy. And he's saying things to, to men. And he's saying things to like deacons. And he's saying things to pastors and the staff. And he says, you need to know how to behave yourself in the house of God. Man alive, I wish I would have understood what that actually meant when I was a kid running through the, the, the auditorium and someone said, hey, behave yourself in the house of God. Because the house of God isn't just here. 
The house of God is when you walk out the doors and you go home and you get on your phone all by yourself. We are the church. Whether we're here or we're at home. You take your light with you when you go. And he said, you need to know how to behave yourself. And he starts talking to the deacons and he starts talking to the deacons' wives and he starts talking to the pastor and the pastor's staff and their wives. And he says, you need, you need to act right and you need to behave yourself. And then he starts talking to the men and he's, and he's saying, you, you need to not, uh, you, you need to not uh, have a strife and de debate. And he's asking them, he's telling them, here's what I want you, I want you to pray with holy hands. And then he says, here's your problem. The reason you're not praying with holy hands is because, is because you're stri you have strife and debate in your life and you're fighting with this person in church and you're fighting with that person in church and you don't like what that person did, so I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And, and they were fighting and they were fighting and they were fighting and they were going to God in prayer and they're saying, oh, dear God. And he said, no, you can come to me in prayer, but I can tell you this much. You don't have holy hands. You got some dirty hands because you got some things in your life that aren't right and you need to go back and you need to get those right. And then he talked to the ladies and he said, ladies, you need, likewise, you need to pray with holy hands as well too. And then he, he dealt with the ladies and some of the things that they were struggling with, primarily two areas, submission to authority and immodest stress. And that's what, that's, that's what Paul said. That's not what I said. That's exactly what Paul said. And so he, he said to them, you know what you're doing? You're snuffing out your light. Because you're the pillar and ground of the truth. You're supposed to exalt the truth high. But if, but if, the, tr if the truth is, is weak and decayed by sin, it'll crumble. And the people, you and me, who are, are supposed to go into a world and dispel the darkness, if we are not real, real careful, we will become like the darkness and we will accommodate it. And the whole time we're walking around with a candlestick with no light, thinking we're doing something for God. But friend, there's nothing there. And it's good for us to come back into this place and to hear the word of God preached and to rekindle our flame so that we can take it and go back out and dispel the darkness. Whew. What a responsibility we have. Men like Elijah, men of heroes gone by, David, all look forward to this time, the time that we get to enjoy. And I know what it's like to come in here and sit right over there and think about other things instead of what an amazing opportunity we have to live in this age. What a great responsibility. Um, that great responsibility requires us to do something about it, doesn't it? And it might just be that we need to rekindle some flames. And we need to get a refreshed view to what church is actually about. It's not a social club. It's not where we come in to make business deals. I don't think that happens here. I don't think that at all. I'm just saying. It's not a place where we bring in the, bring in the darkness. It's a place where we sit and our pastor gets up and preaches the truth. And we get to see Jesus in a way men, heroes of the faith, never did. It's amazing. Would you all stand, Lord? Thank you so much for the truth of your word. And thank you for the wisdom of God that you would give us a local church to assemble and to receive truth.
And Lord, I pray that if we have a, as a church have gotten lackadaisical towards the word, whether it be preaching of the word or whether it be our personal Bible reading or whether it be our menial desires that mean nothing in the light of eternity, if we have gotten our focus off in a hard heart, that you would revive us and that you would rekindle the light that is supposed to go and dispel the darkness. Lord, please help us because it, it honors your name. It, it is right to give such a glorious God that sort of attention. So I do pray for your great help as the invitation begins. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn number 258, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, the invitation is open.